They patrol the monuments to gridiron legends, but you better get the hell out of the way when they come rolling through. Randy Heights and Ryan Chapman are the Heisman Park Rangers, presented by the Highball Network. Well, Randy, for the second time, we had to regroup as the Oklahoma Sooners did not have a game last Saturday against West Virginia. It was ultimately canceled, canceled, but this time uh, full speed ahead. Oklahoma can set their sights on the Big 12 championship matchup against Iowa State. So let's get into that. We've got some National Signing Day stuff today for you on the Heisman Park Range. Before we do all that, at RJ Heights 1077 at Radio's Ryan, you'll want to follow us both on Twitter there. Some interesting stuff coming down the pike. And as always, the signing day fun. You never know what's going on. Of course, today is the opening day of signing day. Uh, this being Wednesday, can go through Friday. Then you've got the late signing period. Uh, lots of recruits still to follow all the way up to the finish line. So at Radio's Ryan, at RJ Heights 1077. But uh, Randy, are you glad that we're just done with the will they, won't they play? Like it's pretty clear that both these teams are going to obviously play in the Big 12 championship game no matter how strong or shorthanded they are. Well, are we sure of that? Are we positive? I hope that I mean, no one's positive. It's when you fine. think about it, Ryan, well, that's true. But that, that's a good point. But why I'm saying that is, I mean, come on now. They have until Friday to let Texas know if they need them to play in the game. I, I'm sure that how the Longhorns are waiting that? on pins and needles. No, but how crazy is that? But, you know, like, and I know it's 2020 and we're dealing with everything and Everyone's flying by the seat of their pants. But let's just say flukish scenario, and we won't put it on Oklahoma. Let's say Iowa State, all of a sudden, test gets back today. Oh, it's looking iffy, but they can still go. And then all of a sudden, the Friday test get through. Oh, crap, we've been devastated. I, I, How would you like to be Tom Herman? You've basically been kicked in the nuts all season long, and now you've got less than 24 hours to go. Now you get to go play Oklahoma again. I, I understand that that is like a, something that can happen, but unlike the Pac-12, which have already replaced one of their teams in their conference championship with Oregon, who's actually fourth, not even third in the conference, but that's just Pac-12 things. Poor Colorado's, who I really feel bad for. But um, I feel like yeah. at this point, if there wasn't a Monday cancellation, uh, I think the Big 12 might just go and say, hey. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you have one quarterback. They're you're all negative. Playing, you're playing a Big 12 championship game. Like, figure it out. Which, you know. And, and you know what? It might be the week where they – yeah. Well, not, not politically correct say, or right, whatever. It might be the week that they just – right. They may just go, hey, you know what? Positive or not, get out there and play. If you feel like you can go, go 100%. Go play. Yeah, I, I think so. And, but uh, I'm really excited about this, Randy. I think that we've kind of talked about this. Um, I, I was in a spot personally of when Oklahoma was rolling and they, they were getting that confidence up. They had all the momentum. I was like, OU Iowa State, probably a 14-point game, and it's probably not that close for most of the game, in my opinion. Like, I understand that Iowa State's playing a lot better football, stuff like that. But then all of a sudden, you've got – uh, Oklahoma now has played two games since Halloween. Iowa State, like we said, has been playing great football. But for them, this was a scheduled bye week. Like, they knew this bye week was coming ahead of time. There is no blip in their preparation. Are you concerned at all from the Sooners' perspective that uh, 
suddenly they may be a little bit out of sorts without momentum, seeing as that they had the Baylor game. It was pretty lackluster, but they don't have another real live opponent to, to play again before Iowa State to get that confidence back up? You, you know, the only reason I'm a little concerned, and it's not a major, they've had two off weeks in three weeks. And kind of like what you were talking about, the momentum, how it was building. So you just wonder, I, I feel like it'll be a little bit of a slow start. It's how long is it going to take them to ratchet it up to where they were before, you know, the missed, the bye week, then the missed week with, COVID issues and you know just you, you kind of wonder well how is this going to affect the team's momentum it's not one that I'm concerned like they can't turn it on like like I'm concerned every year it seems like going into bowl games and it's not just because they're in a playoff and they're playing you know a great team it's because so much of their stuff seems like it's on rhythm especially offensively and you're like how long is it going to take them to turn it back on so it's not quite that way you know I figured it'll take them a quarter but you just hope by some stretch of the imagination things don't get away from them early in the game maybe a turnover early and next thing you know they're down 10 or 14 points right out of the gate and you know in the first quarter before they kind of go oh this is what we're supposed to be doing now right and I think that one of the good things on that front is against Baylor the defense looked like they hadn't missed a beat so even if the offense is sluggish out of the gate if the defense this this is kind of what we've talked about I go back to that OU Alabama playoff game where it literally took the offense a quarter and a half to get used to the speed and the physicality of that Alabama defense it took them a quarter and a half to figure out what the hell Quinn and William was because that was an alien that they had never seen before you know what I mean and, right. and the defense was so bad that it did not afford the offense any time to adjust and grow into the game by the time the offense had figured it out the game was over this is a totally different scenario um, this Oklahoma defense came out firing they were suffocating from, you know, bell to bell, basically, against the Baylor Bears, despite the off week. So I think that, paired with the fact that the, the obvious storyline of, yes, they've played once before, Iowa State won by a touchdown, but that was a bunch of freshmen and sophomores from this Oklahoma Sooners team playing in their third game without Ronnie Perkins, who is clearly the unquestioned leader of that defense, without Ramondre Stevenson, who we've seen is essential in these short-yarded situations for this offensive line, things like that. So I, I still think that... Uh, you know, Brandy, the line came out five and a half. I still think that's a good spot. And I would still probably pick the Sooners to win this one by a touchdown. No, I, I'm kind of there with you on that. In that regards, there are so many elements of this game that's different. And I thought the point you brought up about the defense is the best case scenario because we even talked about it after the Baylor game. Yeah, the offense never kicked it in gear. But when was the last time the offense can stay kind of in neutral and yet Oklahoma going won a game because of how well the defense played. So you're right. I see that. And that's why I'm like, when I say just a little concerned, it's not a major concern because I feel like whatever happens Saturday, you know, that defense will be able to keep it under control early on. And I think you're going to see Ronnie Perkins playing like a man possessed because you know, what's kind of funny through the Perkins Stevenson bridges, you know, drama that's going on all this year with the suspensions if we all remember correctly, that night about an hour, what, hour and a half before the Iowa State game started, right. the report started breaking that Ronnie Perkins was going to be back the next week. Now, come to find out, it was still two weeks down the road. But, you know, that's kind of the night that the drama really started spinning out on Ronnie Perkins. So you can only imagine the focus that after watching his teammates when he was on the sideline lose that game the way they did, I can only imagine the fire that Stevenson and Perkins will come out and play with this Saturday. 
Yeah, and I think I, I key in too. Like you said, I just remember the 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 visuals of Ronnie Perkins being on the sideline, trying mm-hmm. to fire up his team, trying to help his defense through it. And you know, I, I can't imagine how just like helpless of a feeling that must be that you're trying everything you can to help him because you can't actually be out there. Uh, what kind of impact that has? What what is ingrained in Ronnie Perkins' mind and and the big question will be, like, Brees Hall is unquestioned the Offensive Player of the Year. Oh, yeah. His conference, I think, um, one of the best running backs in the country, no question. Um, he's yet to be held under 100 yards when he's played this Oklahoma team. Um, I was talking with our good friend Christine Butterfield, Randy, and I said it. I think this game is as simple as this. If Brees Hall gets to 125 yards or more, the Iowa State Cyclones are your Big 12 champions, and OU streak ends at five. If he's held under 125, I think Oklahoma wins this game because we've seen Brock Purdy three times in that first game delivered a duck straight into the hands of Oklahoma secondary members. They were unable to catch the ball. Now you're going to have those same guys out there, but I truly feel like Randy, that there's been some sort of mental block removed over this stretch by the AU defense as they've started to force the turnovers. They seem to be like, I feel like they're playing loose now because they don't have that pressure of, oh my God, are we going to get it? Are we going to get it? Like you have to believe even one of those interceptions comes back or just going a step further. We're not talking about interceptions. You just remember all those missed tackles in the secondary, Mm -hmm. not even on Charlie Kolar, but on like the Hutchinson kids, stuff like that. You you mop up that stuff or you don't let the kickoff return go back. Any of those things go your way. And the shorthanded Sooners win this game the first time around. I, I just have to feel like they just need to turn around one or two of those aspects of the game and they'll be in great shape to try and dictate this game for their offense. And and I'll go one step further. And I agree with a little what you're saying about Brees Hall, but if they can just turn some of those other things around, sure tackling, get one or two of those balls that they should have had as turnovers in the first game, Brees Hall, I'm not going to say he can run wild. They don't need him to go for 200, but if he gets 130-140, I think OU still wins this game because they've cleaned up a lot of the issues on the other side of the ball. So I think that's important. And the reason I think it's really important is if you watch Brock Purdy over the last, what, three, four games, Brock Purdy's playing closer to the Brock Purdy everyone wanted him to be and thought he was going to be coming into the year. He's closer to being that guy. And so that's what makes it a little scarier because to me going into the game in Ames, it was all about stopping Brees Hall. If you stop Brees Hall, you win this game because Purdy had not proved he could win a game. Well, now, I mean, he's playing pretty well that, if you don't sure up the other things you're talking about, you've got trouble because now they can set up the run with Brock Purdy throwing the ball. So I think that's where you got to take advantage of those few mistakes Purdy will make. And I feel like he will make. He makes them in every game. It's just you got to take advantage of them. Well, and, and I think it's well documented across. If you've followed me at all doing anything, I am a Brock Purdy denier. I think he is bang average, and we only talk um, – we only talk good about him because he has an Iowa State logo on the side of his helmet. We've never seen an average quarterback at Iowa State. Like, it's just one of those things. Like, he has the arm talent to make the throws. He obviously has the arm talent to beat Oklahoma. He's done it once this year already. Like, but uh, mm-hmm. I think if you put him in, in those pressure situations, this Iowa State team, when's the last time that they had any expectations and actually won a game? Never. Never. Yeah. Even that OU game, it's an Iowa State team that's, you know, one game, two games removed from Louisiana going off the law stuff like that that stuff the big game for them this year was that Oklahoma State game because that game dictated who was going to most likely have the path to the Big 12 championship obviously OSU's collapse changed that a little but they come out and you know 
probably dictate the game and lose. Like Iowa State, has, with expectations, never has ever performed over the course of their program. Maybe in 1912, Randy, was the last time they had expectations and performed. But I, I also feel like it's hard to overlook the fact that this is an Oklahoma team that has been there, done that, and has the experience in this game, in this stadium. I think the lights will also be a little too bright for the Cyclones. Well, and I think just it's easy to always say a revenge matchup. You know, that that's always what everyone wants to focus on. But you look at OU's track record in revenge matchups. They are 10-1 and one in 12 big – this will be our 12th Big 12 title game for Oklahoma where they've played the opponent twice, 10-1 and one over their career, you know, over their history of playing teams twice. And that's not just in the Big 12. 10-1, and one, Ryan. The that's odds good. That's favor, really good. Yeah. They're in their favor that they're going to go win this game. They don't get swept. That's the main thing. And so I think that's what you got to look at is another thing that OU's a team with pride. And I know Iowa State's got a lot on the line. And like you say, they've never – they haven't been in this spot since 1912. So, I mean, I think it's really a big spot that's going to have a lot of pressure on them. And Oklahoma and a pride factor going, you know what? I think they're also if you want if you want to know the other part that I think helped Oklahoma this week for a little extra motivation, not that they're upset Iowa State is six, that they're still tenth in the college football playoff poll. I'm not saying they think they deserve to be in the playoff, but I gotta believe inside that coach's locker room, inside the locker room of the players, when you look and you watch Florida lose to a piece of crap LSU team. Missing a ton of they, like it's a bad team yeah. missing a ton of players. They traveled 54 players to the swamp, 54. A freshman quarterback making his first start on the road in the swamp. Granted, I know it's not the normal swamp. And they dropped one spot. Oklahoma lost to Kansas State and dropped from, what was it, 5th to 18th? Right. I mean, if you're Oklahoma, I think you may be out to prove a point this week. Like, all right, fine, this is what you're going to do to us? This is what we're going to do to Iowa State, your sixth-ranked team in the college football playoff. Yeah, and there's something else, too, that I found really interesting this week. So when Drake Stoop spoke to the media, he made a statement about, like, so there's always a narrative of OU's won their fifth straight, you know, how mm. do you stave off complacency, things like that. And he was just like, I mean, yeah, we've won five straight, but this team is just as hungry to, like, win another one because – this year's team hasn't won anything. You know what I mean? Like, like right mm -hmm. now they've, they've won the games that they've won, but they haven't won a big 12 championship. And, and it, I think that that just speaks a lot about the mindset that obviously you have to have the mindset of a champion to, to reel off five straight or even repeat once, you know what I mean? But to, to have that kind of attitude of, we haven't won anything. Like, it's not like we're trying to, you know, we're complacent and they're the young plucky underdog. Like mm -hmm. they're just as fired up about this one, which I think, uh, that's great to have out of the rest of the offense. The guy that'll be cool, calm, and collected, though, will be Spencer Rattler because he played – I thought he played a, a really good game in Ames the first time. His only real mistake was forcing the ball down the field on, on that very, very last possession when maybe he didn't have but, to. That they were held on, but, you know, yeah. never mind. Yeah, neither here nor there. But uh, it, since then, he's just gotten better and better and better, and this is an offense that uh, – like I hate to pick on somebody, but they've, you know, left Obi Obiallo behind who, you know, dropped mm -hmm. two touchdown passes in names. Let's not forget. Theo Weiss has come a long way this season. He dropped a touchdown pass. So look, it's, I haven't heard anything that's solid, Randy, but it's looking like the status quo with Austin Stogner is he, he probably won't play since we haven't got an update on him. Yeah. So if we're just assuming that he's not going. 
but like we kind of talked about, you get Braden Willis, you get Mikey Henderson involved there in the passing game. Like everyone wants to talk about the mismatches with Charlie Kolar and the OU secondary. Well, I don't know who on the Iowa State defense is going to cover Mikey Henderson or Braden Willis or Theo Weath. Like they didn't really do it the first time. And no doubt. And, you know, we didn't mention Jaden Hazelwood. I mean, I think he's going to be a factor this week. I mean, even Riley mentioned yesterday in his press conference how almost the week last week of not playing the game was bad for him, even the week before the Baylor game, because he was just starting to get into that rhythm. So now you feel like they've had another week of practice that maybe even though it wasn't game action, he's got another week of practice. He's getting into that rhythm. So, I mean, I think the receiving core is going to be fine. I, I think you're going to see them use pleasure a little out of the backfield as well. That's why I look at this offense and I'm not saying they're going to go, you know, throw up 60 points on the scoreboard, but I'm not worried about it. And I think this defense, that's where I look at, because if you want to look at the biggest problems that they had besides tackling was who covers Charlie Kohler. You know right. I mean? They've got the short DBs back there. I think one thing that goes unnoticed as well as we talk about the defense and Ronnie Perkins not being there, that was Trey Norwood's first game back off injury. I mean, so he started to play better. He's looking better. I look at that and I kind of go, all right, there's a way that the secondary can get better from the first game just because the snaps under Norwood's belt. And I think that's what we got to watch and see who takes that. And I'll say one positive. Look at the Oklahoma State game. They, you know, they tried to get Trey Brown on the big tight end, went right. at him three straight times. Now, yes, Kohler's the best tight end maybe in the Big 12 right now. Yeah, Kohler and Woods are not in the same category, right. but Woods is like still a massive human. Right, and you saw how Trey Brown defended him. I'm not saying he's going to shut out Kohler by any stretch, but he's got to use that, I would think, as some form of confidence going up in that matchup if they meet up any time, you know, being matched up in the pass game. Well, and I think that also – Yes, there is a size mismatch in the secondary, but there's there's been a size mismatch all year long when Kolar's going against any secondary. And this Oklahoma team has given more reps to a Woody Washington, to a Jeremiah Cradell, mm. DJ Graham's gotten in there. So if you line Kolar up on the outside, they can easily say, hey, we've got any number of these much bigger bodies that, you know, um, I, I love Charlie Kolar. I went to high school with him. He's a great dude. He's not going to kill you on the stopwatch on a you know straight line 40 like any of those guys can hang with him that way so then they're just worried about bodying him up and and uh, his good technique in route running and stuff so it's one of those things that um, it it's a concern yes but I don't think that I'm sitting around going gosh I don't know how they can deal with this at all like the like both teams are going to go make their plays on that mismatch or on that matchup I feel like but uh, one, one thing I am kind of curious about is I almost think so talking about the offensive line I think Randy it's actually more likely that we see mistakes in the way of holdings and personal fouls early mm-hmm. because they come out being a little too physical than we see what we saw against Baylor where they're just getting crunched with pressure because look Bill Biedenboe going into a Big 12 championship game and that Baylor game being the last time that the Sooners put any tape out I have to feel like Bill Biedenboe has been like gentlemen if we are going backwards it will be because we are killing people like assaulting people on the field and it's not going to be because we're letting people get to Spencer Rattler and just tee off on him on first down well you you would think that and you would think also not only that will they come out and play with the fire you would think he went into that locker room for the last week and a half after the way Baylor handled him said hey guys there's other linemen here they're back off the COVID list if you don't want this job if you don't want to go out there and play like a champion guess what 
I've got other guys that are dying to get in there and get your spot. So, you know, almost make that your job's not safe speech. And you would think that would even like a little more prideful fire under them going, A, not doing, not only do I not want to look like I did against Baylor, B, I don't want to get benched. You know, if you're Swinson, I don't want Harrison taking my job. I've made it through this entire year after people were talking about these young freshmen and I kept my job. I'm not going to lose it in the Big 12 title game. So you would think things like that would get some of those guys a little fire as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think the other, you know, big key in this game is um, Oklahoma will have to be on top of special teams in this one. And I, I don't think that this is a team that you have to tell twice, considering they finally had got the strip sack on Purdy gone down, punched it in, and then let the Cyclones straight back into the game with a huge kickoff return. Like, if you look at the kicker battle, I think in big games, like Burkich, he hasn't been perfect this year, but he's been pretty good outside of when Lincoln's asked him to, you know, kick some really, really long ones, and like at the end of half, stuff like that. I think that Burkich will be money in this game. I, I don't know about Ass Alley. Um, I don't care what his actual name is. <laughs> Mr. Ass Alley has been big ass. That's and, his name to me, yeah. Like, that's he was he cost them the game in Stillwater, frankly, because he was unable to to make some big kicks. I, I just think it'll be interesting there. Um, I think OU has the edge in the punt return game with Marvin Mims. Anytime Mims is bringing stuff back, you're going to give him the edge. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what they can do um, limiting Iowa State's kickoff returns and punt returns. And, and if there's a big play, like, anytime in a game like this, punt block, fake punt, something like that is going to tilt the game because like these are these teams are too good for it not to no doubt I, I think you're exactly right and that that's the other thing you look at this special teams play I feel like they've improved Brian from the Iowa State game not only Burkage but the coverage team that kickoff return for a touchdown is really the only bad play on kickoff coverage you've seen out of this team and they've played with a little fire they've had some block kicks since you know then and things have gotten going in the right direction for the special teams unit. So I think that's another advantage for Oklahoma. When you break this down and you, and you go through it, Ryan, when you look at it, honestly, I think if you go offense, you give a slight edge to Oklahoma. Defense, I think you could go push on that. Yeah. yeah I think you could go push. But I think special teams, you go, okay, Oklahoma there. That's two out of the three major units that you Oklahoma wins, and they split the other one. Yeah. I just think that, too, when, when you look at it like that, here's an X factor that I don't mean for this to sound disrespectful or anything like that, because obviously oh, Matt Campbell ahead. is a great coach and has done an incredible job. But if both teams play their best game, there is nothing Iowa State can do that will give them a win. Because Oklahoma is far and away at every position, just about, except maybe linebacker, more talented. And, and maybe sure. safety. Uh, totally agree. So it, it's just one of those things that it kind of boils down to who do you trust? Do you trust an Iowa State team who has never, ever been in this position or an Oklahoma team who in years past with a much worse defensive unit has basically said all we do all year long is get better and better and better and they play their best football in December in Arlington in Jerry World. That's all this Oklahoma program has done for five years. I don't see why we would doubt that it's going to happen any other way. Well, no doubt. I mean, and you look at it, it's not just guys like you and I that cover Oklahoma that are saying this. I mean, last night on the college football playoff show, Herb Street went, this, went with this speech again, how Oklahoma may be the best, playing the best right now of anyone in the country. Basically, 
campaigning in a way for Oklahoma to be one of those final four playoff teams if some things happen this week. It's being noticed around the country that this team is different. This team not only is getting better as like maybe an offensive unit or something where you're expecting them to blow people out, but this team has gotten better as a team from September to December. It's not even close. I mean, to be honest, if you put if you made them go out there with just white jerseys on and no one knew who they were, I don't think you'd know this is the same team with how right. much better this unit's got. Yeah, it, it's incredible. It, it's I think it's just a testament to kind of like we talked about earlier this season. Like e- everything the Sooners were dealing with in the first five six weeks, the opt outs of Brooks and Redmond, the suspensions, the injuries that people were coming back from. Like I think it was just a bridge too far early this season mm-hmm. for the team to overcome all of that, all of the youth and still get up, get through unblemished. And it was one of those things of if they could just get through enough to only have dropped one game, then you get to the end of the season. You can have that discussion about how they're a different team. Unfortunately for the Sooners, they dropped two, not as much time to make it up, but Randy, if Oklahoma wins this game, I think the viewing guide becomes very interesting after this, because if, Northwestern could somehow upset Ohio State, or if Notre Dame beats Clemson again, okay, if Oklahoma's the Big 12 champion, they're jumping over Cincinnati. I'm a sorry, group of five teams, a four-team playoff, you're not going to get there. Like, sorry. Yeah. They jump Florida, assuming that Alabama wins. They jump Georgia. So then you're saying Clemson had two shots at Notre Dame. If, if Clemson loses to Notre Dame, are you going to put a Clemson team in that has two losses to Notre Dame? Are you going to put A&M in, who's a one-loss team but not a conference champ and also not top two in their conference? Are you going to go with Oklahoma, who, like, I think the committee could do some weird gymnastics and basically say Oklahoma avenged their one loss, so they're essentially a one-loss football team, and all of a sudden they're playing great football, and Oklahoma could vault from 10 to 4 if really weird stuff happens with some of the other results. Hey, I'm totally with you on that. I will say – when I saw Florida lose on Saturday night, I thought, all right, there's one team out of OU's way. And I still think they're out of their way because you're right, as long as Bama wins. But I was thinking really crazy scenarios on Saturday. Like, all right, Florida's gone. Now, I mean, there's two spots open, you know, is what I was thinking in my head. You know, if Florida then turns around and beats Bama and, like you say, a Notre Dame or Northwestern win on Saturday, all of a sudden that's two spots open. But I'm with you. I think it's a very long shot. I know people are listening to this. I'm not campaigning and I'm not saying they're getting in, but I actually, and it's kind of funny because I even heard some of the ESPN guys, I think Reese Davis was on with Scott Van Pelt last night. He basically said A&M's out of it. They're number five in the country right now. And everyone is saying they are done because the spot that they would move into would be number four. Yes, they're a one loss team. They lost by 28 points to Alabama. Right. And like they basically said is, do you think that committee really wants to see a first-round matchup of even if Oklahoma was to get whitewashed, which they probably would, but they're going, at least it would be Oklahoma versus Alabama instead of Alabama A&M, who Alabama has already tortured this year. Right. That's, I think, one thing that's an OU's advantage right now in the battle for that four spot if freaky things happen. Well, and – let's get. Well, and the committee always does weird stuff. Once a team magically could have the same resume, and then the next week they have one more win, but a conference championship beside, like the committee does weird stuff anyway. So, mm-hmm. like again, I, I don't, I'm not saying that he's going to jump to four if Clemson loses or if Ohio State loses, anything like that. I'm, 
I just uh, be very interesting. Like, I think it'll be an interesting 24 hours of campaigning. Let's put it this way. If I was in Vegas and they made me bet on it, if let's say that Northwestern or Notre Dame won, and they go, you have to bet on one of these teams right now, as long as Alabama went ahead and won the SEC, I, I might put my money on it because I've said all along, ever since this playoff came along, it's all about brand power. And we can say whatever we want about A&M. Guess what around the country for college football viewing audience? A&M doesn't have brand power. I don't care what any of the A&M fans say. There's no brand power there. It's Stillwater of Texas. I mean, that's, that's what A&M is. I mean, it's a small podunk little hole-in-the-wall town that if your car breaks down, you're looking to get out of as fast as possible. Fair. Here is, here is the one situation where I do think A&M could get in. Um, so Notre Dame comes back, beats Clemson by like 10 with Trevor Lawrence. I mm-hmm. think there is a way that the committee, if they're really not like, say, oh, you just ekes it out. Right. It doesn't look super impressive. I think what the committee could do is they could say, we're going to take Notre Dame. They've now beaten Clemson twice, who we think is the number three team. They've done it with Trevor Lawrence. Um, I think beating Clemson's more impressive than beating Florida. They could pull some weird thing of, this is the most impressive win in the country. Notre Dame is now one. Ohio State and Alabama are two and three. Then you can just move A&M up to four. And then that way you, yes, they lost to Alabama by 28, but you avoid that scenario where they're staring down going, well, crap, Alabama and A&M have already played. They can just do some weird stuff like that. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain type stuff. That would have to be the only way in my opinion. And I've kind of thought about that too. Like, Alabama kicks a field goal late to win the game or, you know, something like that. And so I think you're right. And and you know what? In a way, Notre Dame would be justified to be number one if they beat Clemson twice. I, I mean, so. in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, so if you wanted to do that. But that's where I think, if you know, and, and you were talking about, if you're an Oklahoma fan, let's give your viewing what you're rooting for on Saturday. Here, Here's how you need to root on Saturday. If OU wins, especially if they win impressively over Iowa State. Right. You turn on the ACC game, you root like hell for Notre Dame just to win by 7, 10. I don't even think the number matters. Yeah, just, you know, just, win. just Yeah, just win because you're just looking to get in the conversation at this point in time. And in a dream world, Northwestern finds a way to upset Ohio State too, yeah. which I don't think happens. But as long as you got Clemson out, I think that's where at that point in time – you want Alabama to throttle Florida. Those games will be going simultaneously. You just want to see those happen. And just to eliminate all the drama, you become the biggest Golden Hurricane fan at night that yeah. you've ever seen. Because you just want Cincinnati out of the conversation. Well, A one-loss Cincinnati team is done. Well, And some of the ripple effects that, it, that you may not talk about is, okay, if – Alabama beats the crap out of Florida. A&M's only good win is Florida. That win looks mm-hmm. worse. If Tulsa goes out there, beats Cincinnati. We all know around Big 12 country here that OSU is kind of an odd case of how they you know, fluctuate throughout the season. But all of a sudden, if Tulsa's your AAC champion, you go back and go, OSU, yes, they have three losses, but that Tulsa win with their second, third string court, like that looks – even better maybe it somehow it, it even if it ticks osu mm-hmm. two or three rankings up at that bottom end of the rankings all of that stuff matters when they start having the printouts for 
strength of schedule and all this stuff. And they go into the advanced metrics to justify whatever they want to do. Like, I think all of that matters a lot. And, and you may not want to think about it, but that Tulsa win could be huge just for some of the bumping up strength of schedule stuff. Well, no doubt. And also, I mean, when you look at it, I, I don't have any schedule in front of me right now, and I wish I did, but I believe their only top 25 victory this year is that Florida game. Now, Florida is still going to be a win for them against a top 25 opponent, but if OU gets the win on Saturday and doesn't impress them, they've got the win over Iowa State, that's one top 25 win. You would have the Oklahoma State win, and you would have Texas, who somehow still stays in at number 20 last night. So, I mean, there's three wins alone for Oklahoma right there. So when you get into that argument and those metrics you're talking about, that's even better for Oklahoma. You know, so Oklahoma fans that wanted to see Texas fall out, it's actually benefiting that they're still there. And and I've got A&M schedule right in front of me, and we're just going to run it down point by point. Week one, 17 to 12 win over Vanderbilt. Not impressive, but I think everyone gets a pass week one because of how weird crap was. Sure, fine. Week two, 52-24, lost Alabama. Okay. Week yeah. three, 41 38, they beat Florida. Like you said, their only top 25 win, which if Florida gets blitzed and that win looks worse and worse, then here's the concerning thing for the rest of the schedule 28 to 14, they beat Mississippi State. Awful football team, only a two touchdown win. 42 to 31 over Arkansas. Again, average. Not average win, not super impressive. 43 over South Carolina, that's a good win right there. Bad team, but whatever. 20 to 7 over LSU. That's not going to impress anyone. 31 20 over Auburn. Okay. And then this Tennessee game. So, like, AM will be 8 and 1, like you said. Florida's the only good team that they've beat. And the South Carolina game's the only time they've looked dominant. So, it, it could be very interesting what the ripple effects are because of, of how that all is going to impact the. Once you say, okay, we've got this rank, let's redo the metrics. What does strength of schedule say? All of that's going to just trend back toward an Oklahoma's favor. I just think it'll make a very interesting conversation. And it's the same thing for Iowa State. If Iowa State wins, mm-hmm. it's an even more compelling conversation because they're not having to jump four or five teams. And all of those things, all those same strength of schedule metrics that help Oklahoma help the Cyclones the exact same. So I just think it's going to be really fascinating. So I'm just really hoping that Notre Dame wins and wins pretty convincingly so we can move one team off to the side. Because I just – have more faith in Notre Dame winning convincingly than Northwestern beating Ohio State. Who knows? Yeah, I'm right there with you, and I did forget about that A&M Tennessee game. Might as well root go Vols, Rocky Top as well, if Oklahoma gets a win on Saturday. If that happens, and a couple of the other scenarios we talk about, Katie barred the door. You know, I want to watch the NFL on Sunday at noon, but this may be the first time I'm excited to watch the college football playoff because whether Oklahoma's in or not, it's going to be full of drama to see who the fourth team is. If just one of those teams lose, it's in the top four. If one of those teams lose in the top four, or if that Tennessee thing happens, we're going to see a bunch of olive branches. First off, OU Twitter and Tennessee Twitter will come together and stop yelling at each other for <laughs> oh, yeah. whatever reason. But secondly, it's going to be hilarious if all of a sudden now Kirk Herbstreet is going on his like two hour, like I cannot believe that Oklahoma was left out of this playoff. It's the absolute reverse thing of his Georgia thing from, was it last year or two years ago? I don't remember. Two years ago. Two years ago. I cannot believe that Oklahoma was left out of this playoff. This is a travesty. We need to do this over and over again. There is no reasoning. Herbstreet, Herbstreet just rail for two hours and I just want to see it. It'll be, it'll be awesome. Yeah, it'll be great. And let me tell you, that will be better drama than whatever the NFL games you want to watch on Sunday at noon. 
That's yeah. the one thing I can tell you. For sure. It, for it'll sure. be fun. All right, Randy, real quick, before we get out of here today, we are recording on Wednesday, although you'll hear this on Thursday, but uh, today is National Signing Day. The Sooners announced, um, as of right now, 16 signees. Mm. Two of those are five stars. Nine are four stars, if I counted correctly. Yes, I did. Counting is fun. Uh, but the most important thing is, Randy, six of those guys are offensive guys. Up to 10 could be defense if uh, Billy Bowman gets slotted over to the defensive side of the football. But even if he plays offense, that's a, a seven to nine ratio of offense to defense. That's not something we've been accustomed to seeing. Yes, your five stars are offensive guys, but there are a ton of high four stars here that are defensive guys. And I think that it's resonated that they finally have turned the page and kind of moved off of whatever Mike Stoops left this defense's reputation at. And this is an attractive place to play defense. No doubt. And you see him building on it. It's pretty nice watching this recruiting class come together. And you look at it from top to bottom, really good guys. And I think I talked about it in a podcast earlier. Still Billy Bowman's one I really like because – He's one that's a receiver and a defensive back. They're starting to do what I like to see at those skill position on the defensive side. That's what I call cornerbacks. They're recruiting the best athlete. If that guy's a four-star athlete, go get him. Because even if he doesn't work out as that secondary guy, you can move him to somewhere on the offensive side of the ball. And that's what they're doing. And that's how you look at these schools like Alabama and all of them that have the dominant defenses. That's what a lot of them are, Ryan. I mean, they're just dominant young kids that are athletes that have the ability to do a lot of anything on that football field. And so I think that's one thing I look at and I go, that's an impressive thing with the recruiting class. I love the defensive end. I can't remember the kid's name right now, but I was watching the tape on him. And I think it was uh, Calvin Thibodeau talking about him. He dropped a little nugget saying how deep that room will be next year and being able to learn from Ronnie Perkins. Now I did correct it for all the OU fans were like, Oh, did he just say that? Did he, did he just, did say he, that? Did he just do the thing? Yeah. Did he just do the thing? Exactly. Later towards the end of the video, he mentioned Perkins and Thomas again. He said, hopefully they return. So, right. I mean, he, 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 it's almost like, I wonder if he went, did I say that earlier? Let me go back. <laughs> Let me double check before I get bombarded, you know? So I mean, maybe there's a little hope out there, but I think that's what's great. When you look at all these guys they're getting right now, that they're going to be able to learn from whoever's still in that room next year off a defense that's been really good, not guys trying to learn from a defense that was 107th in the country. You know, and that's the, be sure. the best positive thing. Yeah, and then Lincoln Riley on his National Signing Day press conference, like like unprodded at the end, was like, hey, by the way, I haven't really taken an explicit question on this. But I just want to say that this defensive back group is going to be awesome, and it might be one of the most talented we've already brought in. And so that kind of uh, – one of the most talented we've yeah. ever brought in, which you've got Latrell McCutcheon, who there's two things that OU fans are going to love about this guy. First off, you're plucking a recruit from Austin. That's always a win. Secondly, oh, by the way, he was committed to Alabama. He was not processed by what all the recruiting insiders are saying. That's not my information. This is what we're getting from them. Right. He, he was not a guy that was processed. He, he flipped to Oklahoma. He willingly – made the decision, I want to go play at Oklahoma. And he's 6'1". Damon Harmon, 6'1". Um, you've got Jordan Mukes out of Choctaw. Very, very raw, 6'4". He's a guy that hasn't really played football all that much. He's still learning. And you, you have confidence in the staff and confidence that Alex Grinch and Roy Manning, like, if you had told me three years ago there's a project coming in, I would tell you 
why? Because the coaching staff has not proved they can coach the, the guys they do get, much less projects. Now I'm just like, yes, absolutely. Give them all the raw athletic talent. And in three years, you're going to be watching just a bunch of freaking Spartans running out on that defensive side of the football. So it's really exciting. And, and they might not be done yet. There's still three big targets on the board. Um, offensive tackles, Bryce Foster and Tristan Lee, both five stars. And then the number one running back in the country, Kamar Wheaton. Um, it, it looks like, you know, a, a lot of stuff. We might have to wait a little bit longer for Tristan Lee. He may wait till that um, the late signing day, old signing day. I stuff think like he that. actually announced yesterday or day before January 3rd, I believe. Gotcha. Okay. So, so wait. I mean, I don't think it's going to be any time real soon. It's going right. to take a couple of weeks. Yeah, no, nothing real soon. Bryce Foster coming up. Kamar Wheaton, who knows? Uh, whenever he announces it, like that will be the first solid information anyone's had on him, it seems. So um, all, all of that to say, it sits at 16 right now. Really, the three guys left, those three guys, one or two more maybe, but those are three like top 100 level players. Like their rivals has, you know, Wheaton is the number one running back in all the land, a top 10 guy in the entire – like the only reason OU is going to add is if they're adding like impact stud mm. players. Otherwise it looks like it'll be a, a transfer portal thing. Cause they, who, Lord knows there'll be a billion people in the portal. No doubt. And I do think it will be interesting. A couple of things I saw today on Twitter following recruiting along a, first of all, and those three guys you mentioned, I'm, I'm going to make the prediction right now, two of three come to Oklahoma, Tristan Lee, Kamar Wheaton. I think from everything I'm hearing, it looks like Bryce Foster may have flipped. Not really flipped. He never committed. And he was torn. His family's from A&M. His mom's an A&M alum. I'm kind of wondering if the pressure got the best of him there. So, Look, it's, hard, we'll it's hard to leave a cult, Randy. Exactly. Exactly. It's hard to get out, right? Um, so, we'll see. But, I mean, I think those other two will end up at Oklahoma. And I think one thing, not only transfer portal, but all these jobs coming open. I did notice two Auburn recruits today. They're fairly highly recruited guys basically say – I'm not necessarily decommitting, but I'm opening up all my options because they got rid of Gus Malzahn, you know right. what I mean? So let, let's see what happens there in that regards because I don't think OU wants to add a ton of guys to start with. I think they're pretty much done. But, you know, let's say a five-star defensive tackle or a four-star guy or someone they were in on becomes available. Oklahoma, I'm sure, is going to be looking at him. And how about this? Reuben Owens, tonight, we'll know tomorrow. He's the number one running back, who is it, 23, I believe? Right. 2023, number one in the country, drops his top 10 tonight. Yeah, so that'll be a big time to keep an eye on. And and like we said, uh, or, or like Lincoln Riley said today, like he pretty much explicitly stated, like we're not looking to add dudes just for numbers at this point. Mm -hmm. They're only taking guys that they believe can come in and be impact players. And if not, you've got the transfer portal. You've got all this stuff um, to, to fill a hole or plug a hole and – and who has a better track record with transfers, you know what I mean, than, than OU? Like, they're, they're one right. of the top schools as far as churning transfers out. Well, and I think next year may be the craziest this year slash next year. Yeah. In college football, with everyone getting their gear back, every school is going to have guys that they liked and really liked, but maybe they've recruited past. And they're like – and so that guy's like, well, I got a free transfer year. I'm going to go play at Oklahoma. And there's going to be guys at Oklahoma that are going to leave to go play at you know, Michigan or something. It, I think it's going to be the craziest – I'm going to go ahead and call it the craziest free agent year we've ever seen in college football just because there's so many bodies that are going to be out there. Well, and I also think, too, that some of these guys that – there's a lot of talent every year that gets sucked into programs that, uh, like right now, the best example of that in the Big 12 is Texas, where you're confused. You're like, mm -hmm. this team 
that not only have they not competed for championships, but they're not even really putting people in the NFL at a super high level. Like it doesn't make a ton of sense, but like you get it, you know, you go into Texas high school football, stuff like that. Like there are a ton of those programs across the country. Florida State's one of those programs, stuff like that, where um, I think you could see if everyone's going to get not only the year back, but I, I think it's hard pressed for the NCAA to deny any transfer waiver because of mm-hmm. just this year those guys might see that as this is my shot that I can correct a mistake I made in recruitment, or maybe I got here and didn't vibe coaches have turned out, turned over something like that. Like this will be their one chance to correct that mistake. Like you said, it could be, it could be just a free for all, which I'm, I'm here for, you know, uh, co- coaches, can, coaches can do that at any point. Why, why can't the players? I'm right there with you and it'll be fun and we can get into it next time, but you mentioned Texas. They're at a free-for-all right now. I mean, they yeah. just had number 37 number thirty-seven player in the country in last year's recruiting class as a quarterback. Redshirted this year. I'm opting out. I'm out. Answering. I'm Deuces. out. Um, have fun with that, Texas. Yeah. You're stuck with Casey Thompson. Wait, wait, hold on. You think that he opted out because he heard that Elliger was coming back? Could be. Oh, please, let that be. Let Elliger lose to Oklahoma for the sixth and seventh time. That would be awesome. Awesome. But, okay, before before we get out of here, though, real quick, I have Sooners win their sixth straight Big 12 championship 34-24. to What do you got? 42-21. Wow, 42-21. A dominant performance from the Sooners for Randy, and hopefully we haven't just cursed them. Yeah, hopefully not. I, I kind of worried about it. I just, I, I don't know. I just have a feeling it's going to be one of those close games. Oklahoma has a lead, kind of like what your lead is, you know, 34, 24, you know, something like that, you know, where they're just up. And then Purdy starts forcing things when they're trying to get back. That It's not going to be maybe as big a blowout as the score I gave. Right. But, you know, I think they get a cheap touchdown on the defensive side late in the game. I can see it. I can see it. All right. Follow the man, the Hall of Famer at RJ Heights 1077 on the Twitter machine. I'm at Radio's Ryan. Once again, like we said, a lot of recruiting decisions still to come. Be sure to follow us there. We'll have all that news and more. But until next time, download, subscribe, tell your friends. If you're enjoying the podcast, tell them, hey, these two idiots like to talk. They're pretty entertaining. You'll like it too. Let your friends know. Word of mouth is big time. We really appreciate it. But until next time, We will see you all after uh, the Sooners actually play a game.